Welcome to Millionaire Secrets, the podcast where we dive deep into the minds of millionaires and entrepreneurs living their version of success, so you can get there too. This podcast was born from my own personal obsession with learning from successful people, and I have traveled the world in order to put myself in a room with the best of the best, millionaire and billionaire entrepreneurs, celebrities with massive influence, and icons who are changing the world with their message. My name is Bethan Jepson. I'm an award-winning entrepreneur and I'm on an absolute mission to make wealth, success, influence and change accessible to everyone who is willing to do what it takes to earn it. Get ready for some amazing interviews where we reveal some epic and unheard of millionaire business and lifestyle secrets. I'm on a personal journey of seeking my own version of business success, but without sacrificing my happiness. If you believe in the success without sacrifice ethos too, then I invite you to join the free Success Circle Network community where we collaborate, problem solve and support each other. You can get all the information via my website at bethanjepson.com. Welcome to episode 10 of season two of the Millionaire Secrets podcast. We're back after a little bit of a hiatus. And if you're curious why we've been away, then stick around at the end and I'll share with you what's been going on. But now onto today's guest. Howard Berg is the world's fastest reader, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, reading 80 pages per minute. He is the author of Speed Reading the Easy Way for Students and Super Reading Secrets, which is in its 28th reprint. His programs have generated a massive $65 million in revenue, making it the top selling info product of all time. Howard works with all different types of clientele, from students to CEOs, to help them learn faster, comprehend better, and retain more in the information-rich world. Howard increases the learning rate of an average individual by 100% in four hours, resulting in better decisions, fewer costly mistakes, and more time to devote to the things that matter to them. Coming from the gang-infested projects in Brooklyn, Howard has done pretty well for himself. But what really came across when speaking to Howard is his love of teaching and seeing that light bulb go on. He even took me under his wing for a few minutes to teach me a thing or two in this episode. So if you're someone who loves learning a new brain hack, and especially if you're interested in increasing the rate in which you learn and take in new information, then you'll love this episode. So please enjoy. Okay, wonderful. Welcome, Howard, to Millionaire Secrets. It's so lovely to have you here today. Thanks. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, amazing. So yeah, so as my listeners will know, we always start with the same kind of deep dive question. So if you're happy, I'm just going to start throwing them at you. I'll try to be happy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, Howard. So where do you live? I live in Florida. I grew up in Brooklyn. I lived in Texas, near Dallas for 23 years. And we moved to Florida about two years ago. Mm, okay. And what was your first job and what did it teach you? Actually, I was a singer when I was nine years old. I sang in Temple. In 1960, I was getting uh, $3,000 for singing for 10 hours. And to put wow. it in perspective, my dad worked six days a week, 10 hours a day for 10000 It was considered a good income. So I made a third of his annual salary in in, in 10 hours. Wow. Um, 
and he was working 10 hours a week. So that was pretty good, about 30,000 in today's money. For a nine-year-old, that's decent money. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and did you learn anything from that profession that you kind of still use today? I, I'm very comfortable on stage. Yeah. I sang in Atlantic City and hotels and, and I had a record. So you kind of get used to being in front of people which if you're going to make a living as a public speaker is probably a good thing. Mm, no, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Has its uses. <laughs> yeah. uh, and did you have a role model or a mentor that inspired you to start your own business? And if so, who was that? Um, I don't know if I had a role model or a mentor, but what I did is I noticed that people who had their own businesses were making a lot more money than people who had jobs and they weren't working harder. They were just working smarter. For one thing, the tax laws are more favorable to a business person. Your, your health care costs are in the business. Your insurance is in the business. A lot of things you would pay with post-tax dollars as a, as a worker are in pre-tax dollar in, in, in a business. And that's an enormous difference in the efficiency of your income. You might have the same income, probably have more, but if you had the same, it's still going to allow you to purchase more dollar for dollar if, if you're taking 20, 30% off the top and then buying the same thing and not taking anything off the top yep. and then buying it, you're getting a whole dollar's worth of purchasing power, which is certainly an advantage. And when did you kind of learn this? When did you pick that I was about 35. I was working three jobs and I met some people. They were making about $600,000 a year, which you don't really make as a teacher. It's not common for teachers to get that kind of income. Mm. And I'm looking at what they're doing and I'm like, they're not smarter than me and they're not working harder than me. What are they doing? I'm not doing Well, they're, they're making their own business. Mm. And I said, well, it's not that if they could do it, I could do it. It wasn't the same business as mine, but I realized that uh, that was the right way to go. So what I did is I kept teaching and building my business on weekends and evenings. And when I had more income from my personal business than I did working during the day, when I was making more money in an hour than I made in 40 hours, it wasn't a hard thing to decide. Well, I could work 40 hours or one hour, which, which would you rather do? So <laughs> it really did take a whole lot of analysis to discern. I was trying to go into business full time. Mm, amazing. The transition. Yeah. A lot of our listeners are at that stage, actually, where they're kind of building businesses on the side of uh, full-time or part-time jobs. What, what motivated you to keep at it, you know, every weekend? probably lots of nights after you've come home from work. Like what was- Having your own business is a lot of work. I mean, you really work all day and all night. You just don't stop. It's just, it's not 24 hours of work. So like even now I'll write a book. I can write a book in five hours. So I write a book and then I'll go to the gym for an hour and a half, take a nap, go back, write another book. You know, just a normal day for me. I, I just, I break it up. I don't do it constantly. I work two, three hours. I get a lot more done in three hours than most people. And then I'll take a break. Maybe I'll go 
go to a restaurant for lunch or take a nap or meditate. I do that every day. Yeah. And then I'll go back and work another three, four hours. And I do that from the time I'm going up to the time I go to sleep. So mm-hmm. the time I've gone to bed, I, I probably put in eight or nine hours, but it wasn't straight. Mm-hmm. And it's my time. I get to do what I want. I want to go out and go swim. I want to bike. I go bike. But I'm going to come back and work afterwards. And I'm not, not working. I'm just doing it on my clock, not on someone else's. Mm-hmm. And I need to make an excuse. I'm going for a bike ride. I just go. Mm-hmm. I love that. What was the biggest lesson you've taken from the pandemic? Wear a mask and get a shot. <laughs> and don't lick doorknobs. And you probably shouldn't be in a room with 30 or 40,000 people who haven't been vaccinated, not wearing masks. That's probably not the best decision you can make. But, uh, basically, life goes on. The hardest thing for me as a speaker is I couldn't do any public speaking. Mm. Uh, even if they wanted you, did you really want to be in a room with 5,000 people, which was impossible anyway? Because they were telling most states you couldn't put 100 people in a room, let alone 5,000. Mm. Uh, so you're a speaker and you're making a living speaking in front of an audience, and there isn't any. Mm. So I went online more. I sold more products online. I wrote more. Um, I did more webinars. Uh, I, I studied. I, I prepared to make more products. You just switch. That's mm-hmm. business. Business is problems. Mm-hmm. People don't understand that. They think it goes up like this. No, it never, very, very rare. It's a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. The peaks are great. It's the troughs that really test your business skill. Things go wrong. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how talented you are. Things go wrong. And mm-hmm. it's how you handle those days that determine your success. Everyone could be happy and positive when the money's rolling in every day, uh, but that's not the consistent, that's not as consistent as we might like. Things, products have cycles, you know? So just because it's, look, look at Blockbuster, how much money they made, they're bankrupt. Oh, Penny and Sears, bankrupt. It's, it's not about doing what worked, it's about being ready for what's coming mm. before it hits. So you're ahead of the curve, but change is inevitable. Problems are inevitable. And it's your capacity to cope with the challenges. And look, and I'll tell you one of the best ways to do it is you buy it. It's your questions. If you say, why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. Your brain will give you a thousand reasons why you suck and it's happening. Probably won't help. If you said, what's the next best thing I can do now? Now your brain's going to look at the challenge and say, okay, here are four or five things you might consider to extract yourself from the problem or push through it. So same thing with learning. Why do I have to learn this? It's stupid. What you're saying is I don't want to learn it. Your brain says, fine, we won't learn it. So you put all the time and effort into learning and nothing gets done because you basically said, don't learn this. Mm. Instead of how do I learn this faster and better or how can I apply this in my business and make more money? Questions. This, watch your self-dialogue. Watch your thinking pattern. And if your pattern is one of self-deprivation, of pity, of why me, you're not going to find an answer that well. Mm. If your questions are like, how did this happen and what can I do to fix it? What's my next best options? What choices do I have? What do I need to learn to get past this? 
your brain will tell you the answers to the questions you ask. Yeah. Ask good questions, you'll get the right answers. Ask stupid questions, you'll sink deeper in a hole. And in some cases, you become so upset and depressed, it's a bigger problem than the problem you're trying to solve because now you can't think at all. Your emotions have dominated your clarity and your logic and your ability to reason. And now you won't find any answers, no matter whether they exist or not. So that mm-hmm. state, that ability, I'll give a good example in Apollo 13 when it blew up and two of the astronauts say, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. And the third guy looks at them and says, who cares? Who cares who thought it is? It blew up. Do you want to go home or you want to argue about did it, who, who made it blow up? Right now, the real problem is how do we get home alive? Mm. So which problem do you want to solve? Who blew it up? How do we get home alive? And look what happened. It got home alive. Mm. They didn't focus on whose fault it was. They focused on one of our options now. Yeah. That's business. That's, that's a great way for every business person to look at every business problem. How do we get out of this alive instead of why is it happening? I love that. And what's your next big goal? What are you working on? Oh, I just did a new program last week on how to speed read on electronic devices. Uh, I've noticed a trend with fewer and fewer people read books. Yeah. And realistically, they're reading Kindles, iPads, phones. Phones are becoming a big part of the reading, uh, computer screens. So if you're just teaching how to read in a book, you're eliminating 90% of people reading and mm. learning. Plus, a lot of everyone's interested in reading and we're interested in learning. How do you learn? Learning's more important than speed or reading. Mm. So I created a new program on how to learn in the 21st century on right. electronic devices and make it meaningful. So you could study very technical material, even on a phone, with very high level of retention and understanding, which right now most people would find challenging. Mm, Okay, that's really interesting. What's a courageous act that you've done in your life that you think has had the most pivotal impact? Physical impact, I'm not sure. Of most courageous act, I was a lifeguard. I trained lifeguards. I saved about 16 people. For me, the most interesting one, I don't know if it's the most courageous. I wasn't the lifeguard. I was in a swimming pool where I was a member doing laps. And I noticed this 84-year man, oh, man's floating. And when I flipped and came the other way, he was still floating motionless, which didn't look right. You know, I'm trained to spot things that don't look right. That's what lifeguard's supposed to do. So I went over and I tapped him and he didn't move. So I shook him, he didn't move. I turned him over, he was dead. So uh-huh. there was one other lifeguard who was supposed to do the job, didn't even see, there's only two people in the pool. I'm swimming back and forth. This guy's floating face down and he doesn't notice it. How do you not notice that? But he didn't. I did. And I'm swimming and I noticed it. Mm. So I said, get in the water. This guy's dead. We need to get him out and do CPR. And and you heard of dead weight? Well, it's true. They're dead and they're dead weight. It's hard to pull a dead person out of a pool by yourself. It's not impossible. You don't want to hurt hurt me more damage. You want to clunk the head or break bones getting them out of the pool. So we both got them out. And I said, you're doing the breathing. And I'm going to do the compressions. And I said, he is going to throw up mm. if he wakes up because 
when you drown, you like a rubber doll that fills up with water. And when you start blowing it and the water pops out, it's if you're getting paid, I'm not. So you're doing the breathing. And I did the compressions. I got his heart going and he started to breathe and he saved his life. He was alive. Uh -huh. That was exciting. And then also it's another corollary. Being able to learn is one thing. Being able to remember it when you need it under stress. When someone's dead, you can't say, gee, I wonder how you do CPR. I don't have a book right now and I haven't learned this in three years. Mm. That isn't the time to wonder how it's done. If you don't do it right then and there and you don't do it precisely the way it needs to be done, that person is gone for good. Mm. And businesses like that, when things go wrong, you need to stay composed enough and focused enough to do what needs to be done. Yeah. And tune out the feelings, the fear, the emotion, the dread, the anxiety, and focus on the immediate thing, taking action. That's what makes successful business people, the ones who can do that, succeed. The ones who go into panic mode and start feeling flustered and they feel that things are not fair and life isn't right. It isn't. Get used to it. Life isn't fair and it isn't right. A lot of bad things happen to very nice, good people who did everything right. Mm -hmm. It's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. The question isn't, is that the way it is? The question is, what will you do when it happens? Yeah, no, absolutely. What are you finding challenging in your life or business right now? I'm trying to find more stages right now because I didn't do any for so long. And many of them aren't there anymore. They went under. Yeah. The, so there's fewer stages. Doing more Zoom meetings which is, I'm glad it's there, but it's much harder to market on Zoom. It's basically one of the rules of marketing is people buy from someone they know, they like, and they trust. Mm. It's much easier to build rapport when you're in the audience with them. They see you, they know you, they touch you, they understand you. They recognize you're there for them. You're trying to make a difference and not just trying to take their money. Zoom is more one-dimensional. It's not that you can't project that at all, but I think we'd agree there's an ambiance of human interaction in a room that a television monitor doesn't convey. It just isn't as personalized. You can't feel that person's energy the way you would if they were there. So yeah. your sales are much lower on, on an online. When I was doing 20 to 40% closes it's two to five percent online because mm. it's more challenging to build that relationship and they have to take an action where the action when you're in the room is come to me and I'll give you the program. Now it's like go to the web berglearning.com, go to berglearning.com. They have to put berglearning.com in their computer, they have to press the buttons, they have to go scroll through things. It's more steps. And as you know, in business, the fewer steps and the faster people can pull their card out and slide it, the more likely the sale will take place. It's not that I'm doing something less effective. It's just the medium itself is mm -hmm. more challenging than the physical one. So I find that challenging. And we just put our new programs up, but one of them is in 109 languages. Wow. So I'm getting orders right now. About 40% of my orders are out of the States. They're overseas. So that's exciting. And I'm doing a lot of podcasts to get people aware 
of what I'm doing. Uh, last week I did seven in one day. That's a little tiring after, I said, that's a little too many. <laughs> I think two or three in a day is fine. Seven is, you know, it's a, you know it's eight hours of interview. That's a lot of interview. Yeah. But, that's, uh, that's what you do. You do, you have to adjust to change. Mm. If the environment changes, it did. You have to change with the environment or you become blockbuster and you're under. There's nothing left. That's what happens to businesses that don't adjust. Yeah. What's one of the best days in your kind of business journey been? Is there any day that stands out as being up there? The day I met my wife. Oh. I, was, I was lecturing. I went to Binghamton University, but there's a, there's a two-year school. And 20 years later, I'm back in Binghamton. And it's a two-year school and I'm doing a workshop. And when I'm there a whole week doing five workshops. So when you're done, you go back to your room, you sit and watch television. You're with like 50 people and there's nobody. You're alone. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, I'll, does anyone want to go for coffee? So about 15 people said, yeah, we'll go to coffee with you. We all went to, it's nice to talk to people. Rather than watch television, right? So my wife was there and she stayed at the end. And we were t- I really liked her. But, you know, you're a speaker. You don't want to be inappropriate. So I asked her, she's coming to my other programs because I wanted her to see her again. And she said, I don't have any more money. I said, what if I invite you as my guest? Would you come? She said, I'd love that. She said, I want condition. You have dinner with me every night. So I said, somebody to talk to. So we had dinner every night. We got to know each other. And one night, it was the Friday night. There was no show. The workshop was Saturday morning. So we went to see Dances with Wolves, which is like the best date movie in history. And we just kept seeing each other from that point on. We got married. So I, I could see that the best day I've ever had at work. Of course, my work, my, my infomercial also, I, it made $65 million. And it's, it's always nice when you can work for 30 minutes, turn it into $65 million and just open checks. I, I have to tell you, I enjoyed that. Um, it was very... <laughs> Very nice. Unfortunately, I didn't get $65 million. Uh, I got my piece, but my piece was very, very small compared to the $65, which would have been nicer, in which case I wouldn't be where I am. I'd be on my private island. But uh, as you can see, I'm not in an island. I'm more in a library. But uh, that was also very nice. I did enjoy that a lot. Amazing. And on the other side of the coin, then, is there a day that stands out as being, like, truly terrible and just one of the worst days of being an entrepreneur? Well, worst day was the first marriage. I tell everyone my first marriage was a storybook marriage. Unfortunately, Stephen King wrote the book. But uh, <laughs> I had some really hard days. Like I was lecturing in Washington. It was 100 degrees and there were no windows and no air conditioning. Wow. And the room was big enough, about 15, 20 people comfortable. There was 60, 70 people. And it was a it was a sauna. Mm. So I went to the hotel manager and I said, people are getting ill in the heat. Can you put us in a different room? He says, absolutely. There's a room next door that's that's got air conditioning. So it took us 20 minutes to move everybody and all the screens and the projectors. And we're moving over and it's cool and everyone's happy. But there 10 minutes, someone comes and says, what are you doing in this room? I said, they told us we could come in here because it was so hot. No, you cannot. This room is being taken in 15 minutes by another group. You have to go back to the other room. So everybody's like, I don't want to go back there. 
I'm like, what? You, I don't run the hotel. Why do you market it so? Uh, we went all the way back in the other room, crammed in, and they were so miserable. They were so hot. It's hard for me, but I try to keep them positive as much as I could. It's hard when it's a hundred degrees and no windows, and yeah, and, and it's cramped. But that was not a great day. I'm gonna say I've had be- I've had better experiences doing workshops than that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. Like, why did you keep going out of interest? Why did you not just I like helping people? Mm. When I got out of college, I, I studied consciousness. I was a yogi. I went on weekends, I lived in an ashram. And you realize the connectedness of everyone. You know, we really are the human race. I think of people as a cell in an organism called humanity. Every one of us is a piece of that organism. And Mm -hmm. we're no healthier or stronger than the weakest member of our family. And when you watch the news, does anyone think there's too many smart people making too many good decisions? I haven't heard that. Mm -hmm. So I feel my my responsibility is to empower people to learn more and understand better so they make better choices, which ultimately benefits everyone. So my ethos and kind of why I do what I do is um, I'm kind of working towards a concept that I call success without sacrifice. It's the thing that helps me make decisions on a daily basis and helps me kind of set my priorities. Um, And I love it because everyone has a different version of success and everyone has a different version of sacrifice. So I'd love to know, Howard, like what your version of success without sacrifice is. I don't know if you can have success without any sacrifice. I'm not sure. Um, It takes time. And that's time that you have to take away from your family and loved ones. There's no way around that, especially in a new business. When you're launching it, it takes enormous amounts of time. And frustration, because you make all these presumptions. Well, I got the best mousetrap in history. I'm going to be rich. Mm. No, that makes it harder. Mm. One of my friends was Dan Kennedy. Dan Kennedy and I used to lecture with Zig Ziglar, and he told me, you know, having the best doesn't make it easier. It can make it harder. If you presume everyone's going to want it, he says, no, they don't want it. It's your job as a marketer to make them aware of why they need it and want it. And if you aren't doing that efficiently, you won't have a business. It doesn't matter if you're the best brain surgeon, the best lawyer, the best entrepreneur, your first function has to be marketing. And I know it sounds crash, but if a doctor has no patients, if a lawyer has no clients, if an entrepreneur has no clients, it doesn't matter what you have. You have the cure for cancer. Nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody cares. And that's your fault. Your mm-hmm. job was to make them know and care. That is the business side of the business. Most businesses fail not because of incompetence in the business. Like I'm a plumber. I can do a great job plumbing. I'm an electrician. I'm a great electrician. That isn't what makes you fail. It's you don't undersell plumbing. Mm-hmm. And you don't know how to sell yourself as an electrician. Whatever it is you're doing, the first job, job number one, is creating a market yeah. and making sure it continues and building on it. That's business. And a lot of people go into business not knowing 
business. They know their core competency. And they assume that the good job they're doing is all it takes. And that's not the case. Even good marketing doesn't always work. I'll give an example. Uh, Jack LaLanne had a blender, which a lot of people saw on television. Well, most people don't know. They tried five times and it failed five out of five times. How did they sell it? Because it made a fortune. Mm. They made a cookbook and they talked about all the recipes and healthful benefits of the recipes as the advertisement. Mm. And the only way to do those recipes is by the blender. (laughs) The blender to do the recipes, not to get the blender. And it made millions and millions and millions of dollars. Mm. It changed the message. And that's really important in business is to have the right message to the right audience at the right time. If those three things don't line up, if it's the wrong audience, you won't sell. Mm. If it's the wrong message, you won't sell. And timing. That's why you have to reach out to each one at least seven times Mm -hmm. in a year. You can tell me something that I definitely would want, but right now I just bought my Christmas presents. I'm broke. Or I just got over COVID and I haven't worked in six months. I'm broke. I'm too tired. It doesn't mean I'm uninterested. It doesn't mean I don't need it. I can't use it right now. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. My health is in the way. There's a whole lot of, my mom's sick. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of reasons people aren't ready. It isn't that you're the the wrong product and it isn't that the price is wrong. It's the timing that's Mm -hmm. off. And so you have to be willing to create an ongoing relationship. One of the ways you can do that is have a newsletter where you give productive, useful tips, not just marketing blurbs every week, but something people actually want to read. This is great stuff. It helps me. I'm getting better at at X or Y or Z, reading this every week. And then every three or four weeks you put in, by the way, I'm having a special on this. So would you like a consultation? So you have an Ascension ladder. So they start with the free newsletter. Then maybe it's it's a one-on-one or a group webinar where they get to meet you. Mm -hmm. They say, I like him. He's nice. He seems to know what he's talking about. He actually gives a damn about me. He's actually helping me. So the relationship's building. And then you make your offer and you have to make it irresistible. Like, why would anyone with a brain who has that problem and knows you can solve it and that what you're doing will make them more money than it's costing, mm. not do it? That's that's the other part. You know, you can't sell Lamborghinis to people on food stamps. Mm. They couldn't even afford the gas and, and, and the insurance. Not that they wouldn't like it. <laughs> you, have to, you have to have the right person your market. So the first thing in business is who's buying my programs and what are their problems and how do I solve those problems and how could I let them know how I solve those problems? Mm. And when they see the solution is working, that's what I do. I'll show them how to read faster, how to comprehend, how to remember. They don't have to believe it's going to work. It's going to work while we're on the air right now. And they look and say, well, it just worked. Obviously, he's not saying it's going to work. It just did. It was so good and so interesting, and I like him. 
I want more. Yeah. And that's not magic. It's just common sense. If someone's giving you something you need and you see for sure it will help and you know you can trust that person and they're nice and you have the money right now and the problem that they're solving, why wouldn't you do that? Mm-hmm. You know? So that's all That's all marketing is. It's about having the solutions people need at a price they can afford. And if they can't, then you have a payment plan. Mm. I have a payment plan because not everyone can afford the whole program at once. So fine, pay it out. So mm. now it's little pieces, it's little bites, but the value you're getting more than justifies the cost. Mm. As long as it's creating more income as a result, then you're paying for it. It's a no brainer. Yep. It's giving you money. It's not taking money away. Why wouldn't you want to do that? No, absolutely. Okay. Then obviously as a very successful entrepreneur, like you just said, you're infomercial for helping people learn, read quicker, retain information, made $65 million. So what's the reason people want to learn more from you? Like what messaging do you use that? I'll give you the messaging and then I'll start teaching. Um, there's three markets. The primary market is the entrepreneur market, people who are in business today. It's a knowledge-based economy. Mm. Every decision you make is based on only what you know. I've read about 3,000, 30,000 books. So if I'm an idiot, I'm well-informed. Every time you make a choice, the more information you have to base it on, the more likely you'll make the right choice. And if it's the wrong choice, you have other choices. Instead of what do I do now? I just did it. It didn't work. It's like, well, here's 10 more things I can try. Mm. And marketing's an experiment. You don't know what'll work. You, you, you try five, six, seven, eight, nine. Number 10 works. You keep tweaking, you keep testing, you keep evaluating and looking at your results. So it, there isn't a, a magic button and it works. So that's that's part. The other parents of students, mostly it's the parents. Kids don't spend money on learning, their parents do. Because yeah. they're paying for school already. And there's a 50% dropout rate in four-year college, 70% in two-year. You're paying 60 grand a year to send them to school and they've got a 30% chance of graduating or a 50%. Would you give me a few hundred dollars to make sure they finish and don't live with you till they're 40? Probably a good investment. Yeah. Okay. And then there's the seniors staying mentally fit as you get older. I'm 72. But I don't think people think I'm 72. I don't act 72 because yeah. I keep doing things. I keep my brain young. I, I write, I lecture, I, I record products, I swim, I bike, I lift weights. I don't sit on my behind all day doing nothing. I yeah. keep myself busy. If you do nothing, your brain's like a muscle. It turns to mush. Mm. And you see a lot of older people's brains that turn to mush. I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to keep pushing. Those are the three primary markets. So I'll tell a young person, you'll get higher SAT scores, they will. Yeah. You'll get through college in half the time, they will. And you won't have the stress. Well, that sounds good to me. And if it's your kid, they will live with you to their 40, even better. Mm. If you're a business person, I can increase your productivity by 100% or more by giving you better information and less time. Imagine I had an 84-year-old read three books in three hours. So I'm going to say a normal person can read a book in an hour. Wow. So imagine every year, every day of the year, you learned a new skill. One day you learned Photoshop. One day you learned how to write copy. One day you learned how to talk to people. 
every day for the next year. 365 business skills. Wow. What would it do to your business? Would it go up or down? Would you make more money or less money? Yeah. And you did that for two years, three years, 10 years, 20 years. I'm doing it for 50 years. What does it do? It changes everything. Mm. It gives you more options. You think of new things you could do, new programs, new products, new services you never would have thought of. But you read something and it gave you an idea. That's where it comes from. Yeah. Information. So business people make more money. Just the way the world works. So that's what I, and then I tell seniors, well, you won't be a vegetable. Mm-hmm. You want to go into your senior years not knowing your name or busy keeping yourself doing new things and challenging yourself and learning and growing. Mm-hmm. You get to pick. You know, whatever you choose, that's what's going to happen. And they know. I read an article 30 years ago in 90 seconds called The Baltimore and Seattle Longitudinal Study on Aging. It said people in their 80s who read had a much lower onset of dementia and Alzheimer's because the healthy parts of their brain stayed stimulated longer. Mm. Choice. You, you could see, I read. And I do a lot of online reading as well because that's where these books are usually a year, two years old when you get them. So the material is not new. It's not brand new. Online, it happened this morning. I'm reading this afternoon what they learned this morning in a lab. That's pretty recent. Yeah. What is it what they learned this morning? Mm. So we're very fortunate to live in an age where information travels much quicker and things that are relevant, we can learn in the same day as they were discovered. Mm. It used to take months or years to get that information through books and other methods to come to you without the internet. So we're much more fortunate today, but still, how do you learn it? How do you remember it? How do you get in the right state? What do you do when you don't understand it? You still need to know it. Mm. Those are the things I teach. And like I said, I'd be happy to show some of that today in our interview. Well, before we kind of uh, ask you to share some of those tips, like how did you come to learn how to speed read, retain information? Like, how did that come into your life? I grew up in the projects in Brooklyn, which was a terrible place to grow up. It was West Side Story without the music and dancing. <laughs> uh, I had knives to my throat. I was beaten with bats. Wow. My dad was pistol whipped. We moved when they raped an 88-year-old man, which is real. So wow. it was not a fun place. Let's put it that way. It was the, think of Disneyland and then think of the opposite. <laughs> hellscape how's that well i found one safe place in my neighborhood the library apparently gang kids would rather be dead than seen in a library (laughs) so i i spent a lot of time reading i was reading comparative religion when i was seven I, i read the greek myths the roman myths the nordic myths the north american indian myths and i noticed the patterns there was okay Zeus has a beard, Jupiter has a beard, Odin has a beard, Yahweh has a beard. They all got beards. They're all old guys with a beard. I mean, there's like common elements to begin to see similar patterns. It's a different way of saying the same thing. And it was interesting to see, regardless of where the culture was, like Joseph Campbell did. But I was seven. I didn't have a PhD. So (laughs) I was doing that when I was seven. And I had a college reading when I was 11. They tested me. I went to the State University of New York, Binghamton, when I was 17, 
majored in biology, not an easy major. And in my second term of my junior year, I got interested in how the brain works. So I told the dean, I want to also major in psych. And he said, you haven't had any courses in psych. You're a second term junior. You have to do the four-year program in one year and, and finish bio. You need to take six science courses at the same time and two four-hour labs and lab reports were on slide rules. It took 16 hours. Mm. And I also had three jobs. I was working 18 hours a week. So he said, you're not smart enough. And that's when I realized they never taught me learning in school. They told me what, why and how to learn, what would happen if I didn't learn. Mm. Like, you heard a song on the radio once, you never forgot it. You read the seven habits of highly effective people. The next day, you didn't know any habits. Yeah. That'd be way to learn things that matter. The way we learned songs, there was. I got up to 80 pages a minute. I did the whole program in one year. I took the GRE, the graduate record exam, which is SATs for graduate school in biology. And so to review, I read books. I had like 48 books in three nights. And there's books like genetics, cell physiology, uh, plant systematics, biochemistry, not light reading. It wasn't Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. It was pretty deep. I got three questions wrong. I got an 800. It was in the 99th percentile. And wow. then I wondered if it was me or the system. There's a difference between you're amazing or you found an amazing way to learn. That's not the same thing, is it? Mm. So I took children, 11 to 15-year-old children, children, and we gave them a 30-chapter book in lifelong developmental psych, which is a sophomore college course at 11. They read it in one week, and 15 out of 18 students got full credit on the AP test after a week. Wow. I have 11-year-olds doing college classes in a week and getting good grades. Mm. So okay, now it's not you. It's the system. Now, I'm very good at it. That's why I have the world record. But normal people, we did a double-blind test, can go two to four times faster in a few hours with very, very good comprehension, which I think is more important than speed. Wow. And why do you think after all these years that schools haven't caught on to this and are teaching kids how to handful learn? Handful have, handful. I'm, I'm working with a school district in White Bee, Oklahoma. Okay. And they were in the States, there's the Department of Education. And if you're in the top 10% of schools in America, you get an honor plaque. They hit it. They're using my system in their school, which is in a cow pasture. It's literally in a cow pasture. If you go online and look at White Beat, Oklahoma District, a picture, it's in a, it's on a farm. Wow. It's in the middle of a farm. <laughs> Cows. And they're in the top 10% of schools in America because they're doing what I taught them. I wish more schools would do it. There's a reason people aren't learning. Mm. They, they haven't changed education dramatically. In a hundred years, it's basically shut up and listen, mm. wait for the bell. Mm. That's school. It, they don't encourage independent thinking. They don't encourage leadership. It's shut up and listen. Mm. And leaders don't like to sit for a day and listen. They like to lead. Yeah, they like to be doing things. Most of the multi, multi, multi millionaire entrepreneurs I met with these students, most of them, not all, most, yeah, because. They were bored. Now they, they 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 are turned loose and they spend their day doing things, doing things. One of my friends was a D student 
made three and a half million dollars in 90 minutes on a stage selling his program. <laughs> I wouldn't consider him stupid. Mm-hmm. I think that you could sell three and a half million dollars worth of a program in 90 minutes. You're pretty smart. So it's it's a different set of skills than what school's teaching. Mm-hmm. School's about reading and memorizing and calculating. Success is about using knowledge in a way no one thought of that's going to give you a competitive edge. And I, both matter. It's not like one's better than the other. They're not independent. You don't have the knowledge. You're not going to make the breakthrough. But you also have to learn how to connect the dots and, and, and see patterns that people haven't seen before. Everyone saw a phone. It looked like Captain Kirk's communicator. And Steve Jobs said, hey, I could put a, a processor in one of those and make a screen, a monitor, and it will happen to tell phone calls, but we'll call it an iPhone. It'll mm-hmm. be a little computer. And he says, you know, I make it one the size of a page. We'll call it an iPad. I think it made some money. Mm. What did he do? He saw what everyone saw differently. That's what entrepreneurs are good at. Yeah. They see what everyone else is missing. And then if they're really good at it, they also know how to get the message out mm. and reach the right market for a price that's less than what they are. They have to make a profit. So your manufacturing costs, your marketing costs, your overhead costs have to be lower than the price of the object that you're selling or else you run in it red. Yeah. What are the main differences then between your system and like the traditional education system? Well, actually the traditional speed reading system is read fast. And that's not work. Reading doesn't work. If reading slow worked, that would even be good. It doesn't. How many people read a book, studied and failed the test? Mm. or didn't get a good grade or didn't succeed in their business venture. It's not just about reading. Uh, most people measure it by time and pages. I read four hours. I read 500 pages. No, that's irrelevant. I did a graduate course in educational psychology in seven hours. That's a five-month course. In wow. seven hours, I read the book four times. I took the AP test, which was six hours long in 50 minutes. And I got a B plus. I said, why didn't you get an A? I didn't need an A. I was a teacher. My goal was four graduate credits to keep my license. I was wow. interested in the credits, not the course, the mm. credits. I needed a C minus to get the credits. I got a B plus. So for my purpose, I did much better than I needed to. If my purpose was to master the material, it would have been a different kind of studying and a different timeline. But my purpose was four graduate credits for $65 instead of $5,000 in five months Mm. and all the time that it would have eaten up. So one of the things you want to remember when learning is what's your goal. Begin with the end in mind. What do you hope to get when you're done? If you don't know what you're trying to do, you're not going to know what you're doing. You'll never find the information that will help you get there. Zig Ziglar used to say, if you want to hit a target, you have to know what you're aiming at. You never go into studying blind. Mm. You don't know what you're trying to do. You can't do it. It's like George Harrison said, you don't know where you're going. Any road will take you there. Mm. The problem is it won't take you where you want to be successful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll take you nowhere, which is your goal. Yeah. <laughs>
Absolutely. Okay. What are some tips or tricks to help me? Strategies. I would, I'm not a magician. I don't watch my, okay. where my thumbs go? <laughs> I don't know. My dog would think, where the hell has a thumbs go? But I think you figured, you figured it out. Okay. Um, first, I'm going to teach three things. Okay. How to read faster, how to comprehend better, and how to remember. I think those are a good starting place. Absolutely. So how do you read faster? When we're done, pick a book you've read. Preferably nonfiction. So the only thing confusing is the speed. So if you've never read quantum physics, you don't know any math or physics, and you don't understand the quantum physics books, it may not be because of how fast you're reading. It's because it's quantum physics and nobody understands it. So pick a book you understand that you would only be confused if you went too fast. Okay. So that's how you know you went too fast. Get a clock, could be a timer on your phone or your smartwatch. Time yourself for one minute, read normal. Nothing different. See how far you go. Take a pencil, mark off where you finish. Could be a pen. Now you know that's how far I read now. Mm. Now the magic. Go to the second chapter. Take your hand, go one line at a time with your eye following your hand as fast as you can comprehend. So as long as you know what you're reading, go quicker and quicker and quicker till you don't. And that's when, you know, I went too fast. I don't know what I'm reading. And I should because I know the book. So slow down just enough so the comprehension's there. And then for five minutes, as fast as you can understand, not faster, not slower, one line at a time, five minutes. Now go back to the first chapter. And again, time yourself for one minute using your hand as fast as you can comprehend what you just did you'll go 20 to 40% further than the mark you did in the first minute doing that one change. That's the first step in Berg learning. Wow, okay, interesting. That's, but that's the first step in most spiriting programs, and that's where we stop being the same. Mm. About 25 years ago, when MSNBC first launched it, one of their first talk show hosts was Dick Cavett. Now, you're a little young, but Dick was a very famous talk show host in the 70s and 80s, sort of like Stephen Colbert or Jimmy Fallon. Okay. He was he was at that he was that level. He was very good. So we were interviewing, we're having fun, so like we are now. And after the interview, we hung out. I hung out with him and we were talking. He said, you know, I did an interview with Woody Allen, and Woody had taken Evelyn Woods, which is a big speed reading program. And he said he read War and Peace, which is enormous, in five minutes. He says, Woody, that's amazing. What do you remember? And Woody said, It's about the Russian Revolution, and that's all I remember. And that was speed reading. It's a math book. Mm. It's a science book. You didn't learn any math. You didn't learn any science. If you slowed down to learn a word, a name, a formula, you lost your speed. Yeah. It was always fast or never fast, not never in between. I fixed it. The, the man who owned Evelyn Woods in its heyday was Maurice Thompson Jr. And he had me teach his son my system. It said, you've gone past speed reading to speed learning reading it in the 21st century. And I'm going to show you one of the things I did. I took what I learned about the brain. And one of the key things in reading is called schema. Schema is how your brain makes sense out of words. I'm going to read a page with no, a paragraph, no schema, and you'll be very confused. Then I'll read it again with one word, which is the title. And instantly it'll make sense. And you'll see how schema makes text meaningful. Are you ready? 
This is the schemaless text. This is an easy thing to do. If possible, you could do it at home, but you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake and may cost you quite a bit of money. You don't know what I'm talking about. There's no schema. Mm. I'm going to read it again. One word difference, the title, and it's, it'll totally make sense in a second. Laundry. Laundry. This is an easy thing to do. Mm. If possible, you could do it at home, but you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake. It may cost you quite a bit of money. Mm. You have no confusion at all. I'm teaching people where these clues are. Okay. You go two, three, four times faster. And very technical material, law, medicine, chemistry. And you understand it better because it's the decoder ring. It's mm. actually what makes the words make sense to your brain on the page. And when you know where they are and how to find them, everything makes more sense. That's mm. two problems we solve. The third one is remembering. Because people say, hey, you read 80 pages a minute. I bet you don't remember. I remember a lot. So can you. Mm. I'm going to teach you one method. There are many, and each person's different. What you use to learn a language, someone else may use in a novel. What they use in a novel, you may use in a history book. It's different for different subjects, for different people. There's no one way. So I give you a toolbox, and every tool is there, and the ones that will work are there, and you find which works for you best and which subjects. Because it's not the same. It's something you know a lot. and something you know nothing. Mm -hmm. You have to learn a lot. So let's go. I'm going to need 10 things to remember. Pole, shoes, tricycle, car, glove, gun, die, skate, cat, bowling pins. I'm going to bet you don't know all 10 right now, backwards and forwards effortlessly. No. <laughs> you will. You will effortlessly know the whole list backwards and forwards in three minutes. And not only will you remember it, it's not a drill. It's a tool. And when we're done, I'm going to show you it's a tool. Now, because it's a tool, you and our audience will want to remember it. Here's a clue. You remember 10% of what you read and 90% of what you say and do. Yeah. You want to remember it. So when I say, say this, say it, and it'll stick it in. So you actually learn it and not watch. Right. So remember, everyone, don't watch, do. One of the tr strategies, not tricks, strategies <laughs> for memorizing a list was discovered thousands of years ago in ancient Greece. Take a list you know, it's hanging in your memory and attach the new list. It takes less time to add a list to one you have than start from scratch. Okay. I'm gonna bet everybody watching can count to 10. I feel very confident I'm right. Yeah. And we're gonna use those 10 numbers that you know to learn those 10 things that you're learning Super fast. You ready? Go for it. Number one looks like a pole, like a flagpole. What's one? Oh, pole. There you go. Okay, right. let me just... <laughs> two. two is shoes. Two is shoes. How many shoes do you wear? Two. two. So two is? Two shoes, yeah. What shoes. was one? Pole. Good, getting smarter. And when you make a mistake, that's how you learn. Three right. is a tricycle. Three wheels on a tricycle. Three. What's three? Tricycle. Two. Shoes. One. Oh. <laughs> for pictures, right? Four yeah. is a car. Four tires on a car. Four is a car. What's four? Car. What was two? Uh, shoes. <laughs> One. 
pole. Three. <laughs> a tricycle. See how fast your brain's doing this? Yeah. Five is a glove. How many fingers are in a glove? Five, yeah. What's five? A uh, glove. Three. <laughs> tricycle. One. Pole. Six gun. I was in Texas. They're cowboys. They like six guns. What's six? Gun. Four. A car. Two. Shoe. <laughs> Very good. Lucky seven and dice. Lucky seven. Seven. Dice. Five. Giving you a clue. Glove. <laughs> Tricycle. One. Oh. Rhymes work. Say eight skate. Like eight a roller skate. skate. Eight skate. Eight skate. What's eight? Skate. What did they love in Texas? Six. Gun. <laughs> Four. Car. Two. Two. Getting smarter. <laughs> nine is a cat. How many lives does a cat have? Nine. Nine. What's nine? Cat. Seven's lucky. What game? What game? Lucky seven. Nice. Five. A glove. Three. <laughs> Tricycle. One. A pole. <laughs> you know, going backwards. Ten. How many bowling pins are in a, in a bowling lane? At ten. Ten. What's ten? Bowling pin. One. Pole. Two. Shoe. Three. Tricycle. Four. Car. Five. Glove. <laughs> Six. Texas. Gun. Seven is lucky in. Dice. Eight rhymes with. Skate. Nine is a. Cat. Ten. Bowling pin. <laughs> there you go. You're a genius. Now, here's how you use it. It's the speed learn numbers, which you have to know in business. Let's say you're in a hotel. Mm. Room is 314. How many times by the time you got down to the lobby, you've got the room you were in? Here's <laughs> how to remember a number. You turn them into pictures. Three is what? Tricycle. What was one? Oh. What was four? The car. <laughs> Tricycle hits a pole on a car. Picture it in a movie. Tricycle hits a pole on a car. Tricycle, what number? Uh, three. <laughs> it's a pole. One. <laughs> on a car. Four. At your hotel room. Tricycle, pole, car. Nine. Now in school, it's pi. To measure a circle, 3.14. I teach it to young kids for science, math, history, and business. Room numbers, phone numbers, due dates, percentages, skew numbers. Yeah. The zero, because the, the alphabet for numbers is zero to nine. The zero is the 10 bowling pins. So you have a picture now for zero to nine. And whenever you have a number, make a picture for each number, make a movie that connects the pictures, play the movie, and back comes the number. Wow. Yeah. That, yeah. I can definitely see how that works. That's really That's where we <laughs> have all the programs. We actually guarantee it. And we have a staff that helps them. And when they can, I actually do it myself. Mm. two reasons if someone has a problem i want to know so i want to fix it so mm. nobody else has the problem after mm. 35 years nobody has problems very 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 rare but if for some reason someone has one i want to know but what's what is it they don't get that everyone else is getting so i can make sure nobody else ever has that problem either mm. over the years i change it listening to what people Tell me. So it's gotten super easy because mm. I've made it easier and easier by listening to what people told me. Mm. That's important in business. Yeah. Listen to your customers. It doesn't matter what you think. 
It matters what they think. Absolutely. <laughs> they will tell you there's a problem. That's a problem. If there's one person who says there's too much memory and another one says there's not enough memory, that's not a problem. That's a preference. Mm. But if everyone says they don't understand how to read faster and they give you a specific problem and you heard that from 10 different people, that's a problem and you need to fix it. And I did. And mm. now I don't have those problems. Amazing. And, and going back to what you said earlier, actually, about you know, people getting panicked and flustered and stressed. And how does emotion impact on speed reading, learning, memorizing? I'll do better than that. I'll show you how to create emotions. Okay, go on. <laughs> this is what I taught the special forces at Fort Bragg, the Royal Thai Army in Bangkok, the Canadian forces in Toronto. Emotional intelligence, the single most important skill entrepreneurs can learn, EQ. For two things, it gives you self-control, especially when things go badly, and they do. Yeah. And it also gives you ability to work with other people, have rapport, and make them comfortable, know, like, and trust you, because that's where business is built on, know, like, and trust. Yeah. So one of the problems they were having, they go on a mission for four days, and if they get tired, they don't remember what they were told, they could get killed. Yeah. Well, business can be tiring. Sometimes you go to classes after work to learn a new skill or get a certification or you're driving in traffic or you have a long, boring meeting and you can't fall asleep. So I'm going to show you to wake up, how to create a state. Would that work? Oh, yeah, please. So we know the left side of the brain controls the right, the right, the left. Do this with me. Take your left hand, touch your right shoulder, take your right hand, touch your left, alternating. So it's like the Macarena without the music. <laughs> so ideally, ideally you should stand, but if we stand, they'll just see our sweatpants. So we won't stand <laughs> right now. But when you're home later, stand, take your left hand, do the seated for now. Left hand, right knee, right hand, left knee. Okay. So when you're standing, your knee moves. So both sides of your brain are doing it. Yeah. Now when you're done, grab your thumb like I am, grab your thumb and say this like I'm saying it. I feel great. I feel great. <laughs> yes. Passion. Yes. If you go, I feel great. That's how you'll feel. You won't feel like that. You won't feel great. You got to create the state. If you don't have it, you won't create it. We're going to do three sets of these, starting at my speed. Shoulders first. Ready? One, two, three, four, five, six. Knees. One, two, three, four, five, six. How do you feel? I feel great. <laughs> yes. A little faster this time. Ready? One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. How do you feel? I feel, I feel great. great. Yes. As fast as you can. And when you're standing, don't be near the day the desk. Don't bang your knees. Ready? One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. How do you feel? I feel great. Yes. <laughs> feel great and smile. You know what happens? And you do this three times, nothing. Now, you probably would like something. So let me show you how that works. Remember Pavlov, he rang a bell. I'm a rotary president. That's our bell. Rang a bell, fed a door. Rang a bell, fed a door. Rang a bell. The door drool. You don't want to drool. And you don't want to be in an important meeting. Start tapping your shoulders. They'll throw you out of the room. <laughs> Studies show habits take 90 days, not 30. Every day, slow, medium, fast. Every time, I feel great. Yes. Now you're in an important meeting. You need energy. You can't get out. 
grab your thumb, say to yourself, I feel great, yes. And every time you did that for 90 days, you stimulated the left brain, the right brain, both brains. The brain, this is your bell. Your brain remembers the stimulus and you get the response. That's what I was teaching them to do. Now imagine you're a driving teacher and you're teaching people to drive and you say, okay, you're ready for your road test. And you call Howie, I failed. Why did you fail? I got nervous. It was a test. Mm. You know, anyone who ever got nervous on a test or a road test? Oh, yeah. What if I didn't teach you to drive, but how to stay calm during the test? Would I have more successful graduates? Absolutely. Would they get more referrals? So the question for you entrepreneurs is what state do people need to be in to do what you're telling them? Mm. And what state could stop them from doing it successfully? And what are you doing to help them get in the right state and stay out of the wrong one? Here's two more questions. What are you doing with schema when you communicate? Are you using words they know or words you know? Yeah. Use words you know and they don't know. You're not creating rapport and trust. And thirdly, when you tell people what they need to know, you also tell them how to remember it when they need to know it. How many times has someone told you what you need to know and you didn't remember it when you got home? What <laughs> happened? What makes you think what you tell people they remember any better than you do? It's not enough to tell people what they need to know. Tell them how to remember it when they need to know it. Mm. So when you get the Berg Learning Program online, you'll learn all these skills. Mm. How to learn, how to understand, how to create emotions, how to analyze things that confuse. You read the calculus book. You memorized all the formula. But you don't know how to solve any problems. It's <laughs> not the same thing. Have you ever seen that happen? They learn the statistics formulas. They yes. memorize the book. They can't solve a single problem. They don't know what formula to use or <laughs> what formulas to use and when and how. They just know what they are. Mm. It's a whole different level of learning. And I'm teaching that. So mm. when you're done, you read two to four times faster, most double. You'll know how to remember it. You'll know how to learn it. You'll know what not to learn. Mm. How many times did you learn everything except what they wanted you to know? You learned the wrong things. Mm. You have to know what to learn. So I show you how to figure out what to learn. You don't waste time. And then how to be in the right state to use it when you need it. So you don't get nervous and forget everything. You just spent days learning. When mm. you put all that together, you're going to make better decisions. You're going to make more money. You're going to be more innovative. And your competition won't know what the hell happened. Yeah. You leave them behind because they're not doing it. You are. Amazing. So that's berglearning.com, right? For people that like want to. Like my name, like my name, Howard Berg, B E R G. Perfect. Oh, I'll give you my, my email, Howard at berglearning.com. If you have questions, I tutor people, I, I mentor. I'm working with a $100 million a year company to turn them into a billion dollar a year company. I'm showing them how to use the information better. Wow. Uh, there's a law firm now in Utah. They have a million pages for a case and they need someone to read it and tell them which of those pages they actually need. Wow. A lot of them are irrelevant. Someone has to read the million pages and actually know what matters. Mm. So I do like a CLO. Companies will hire me and say, look, you got 15 books here. Someone has to read them and tell us what to do from it. Well, you can read it yourself for two years or I can read it in a week. Mm. Uh, what works better for you? Where would you be more successful? So Howard at birdlearning.com. I do private and I do work with companies. I train people in Amazing. companies too. 
If everyone in your company could learn a new skill every day for the next year, where will your company be a year from now? Mm. That's what I do. Okay, so final question then to wrap this amazing conversation up. Um, so my podcast is called Millionaire Secrets. I'm really trying to uh, provide access to some of these strategies that can help entrepreneurs scale to the numbers they want to scale to. So sure. with that in mind, Howard, what, what is your millionaire secret? You can't do it yourself. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how talented you are. Elvis Presley was a brilliant musician and singing at country fairs. The colonel got him on Ed Sullivan, made him a, one of the richest performers in the world. Mm. What makes you good at something doesn't make you good at everything. So I'm a nurturer. I like helping people. That makes me a bad negotiator. I'm more interested in helping than taking. They're yeah. more interested in taking than helping. Yeah. So who wins? The person who's giving or the person who's taking? So <laughs> I don't do that. I let someone else do that because they don't have that problem. I don't want to be that other person. I like being who I am. But it's yeah. bad for business in some of my areas of expertise. So know what you're good at and find other people who are better at things you're not good at. Don't try to be everything. You can't. No one can. Think of General Patton. Great general. Would you want him as a dad or as a husband? Probably not the easiest man to live with. But if someone was shooting at you and he was behind you with a gun, you could be sure that they wouldn't survive. You would. And that's why what makes you good at one area of your business can make you very poor at another. Some parts of business are small chunk procedure like accounting, very analytical, very detailed. And not everyone is good at that. Then there's the, the, the visionary like Jobs who sees the big picture. and We need to make an iPhone. Did he make an iPhone? No. He told engineers who knew how to build things. This is what I want you to build for me. This yeah. is what it needs to do. Now take what you learned in college about engineering and make me one. And that's the difference. So what you are is good. What you are is what's keeping you from succeeding in your business. Mm. Now reading, you should be competent. There are things that I delegate that I can do, but they'll do it better in less time. And my time is my single most important thing. You all get 24 hours in a day. What you do with it determines if you're Bill Gates or Elon Musk or if you're you, who has a better bank account. So the time is the single most important thing. What's what you do with that time? So mm. find other people who are very good at things you're not. Yeah. And it's okay. You'll make less but you'll make more. It's a bigger pie. Yes. Yeah. The whole pie you got on your own is this big. The pie you're sharing is enormous. Your slice is bigger than 10 of the pies you got on your own. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to bring other people on board, but be careful who they are. Not mm -hmm. everyone has integrity, and I made some bad choices. Most of us do, but you learn from those poor decisions and don't make them again. But that doesn't mean you can never trust anyone. And it doesn't mean everyone's out to get you. Some people definitely are. Mm -hmm. I know it sounds cynical, but it's the truth. You can count on it. There are sharks out there that will look. You, I was going to write a book once, you know, the, the swimming with the sharks. Mm -hmm. my, my secret would be shark bait. Slash <laughs> a vein, 
and swim in the middle, splashing wildly in the middle of the sharks to scare them away from the blood. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's what a lot of entrepreneurs are doing right now. Mm -hmm. They're making their shark bait. They're, they're, they're attracting people who are not going to help them, but mm. eat them alive. And they're out there. I've had some. I'm sure you've met a few. It's part of the part of growing as a business person. That's one of the things you have to learn. This yeah. is a person I can trust, and this is not. Uh, mm. Someone who's not nice doesn't mean you can't work with them. Mm. They could be an awful human being, but very talented at what they're doing for you. So they're not your best friend. Yeah. You don't go to dinner with them. <laughs> You're not taking them out on a date, but they're going to make money with you. That's different than mm -hmm. someone who's going to take advantage of you and abuse you. That's not the same as, I don't like this person. You don't have to like them. If they can do what they do well, that's all that matters. They don't mm -hmm. have to be your best friend. That's called friends, not business. But they need to be on your side and not trying to take away what you're doing. And you have to be careful because there will be people who will do that and they'll look like they're your friends when they're doing it. Ah, oh, there's so much like just knowledge and wisdom just spilling out of this conversation. It's just Thank been you. so valuable. I try to help, but matters to me. I mean, I really do care. Yeah. When I hear about one of my kids finished college in six months and became a missionary, learned Chinese in three weeks, sold his company at 38, for 38 million when he was 40. Wow. Mission, how many missionaries sell their company for 38 million? Mm -hmm. uh, another one did four-year college and he graduated 16, 4.0, had a master's in math at 19, 397, professor at Yale. Another was a 11-year-old C student, 22-year-old professor. Wow. Because they learned how to learn. Yeah, and that's what I do. I teach learning and understanding and business runs on one thing, information. Mm. And the better your information, the more you understand and the better you can remember and use it, the more money you're going to make. That's just the way it works. Mm. Oh, thank you so much for your time, Howard. It's been so valuable and I can't wait to share this with everyone. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. I enjoyed the interview a lot. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. This is the one secret that I really want you to share. So if you know someone who you just know needs to hear this message of inspiration, then please share this episode with them. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, I would be super grateful if you could leave me a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Also, as promised, to give you a little bit of an update about what's been happening within my life and business recently, I uh, moved house. <laughs> I went on my honeymoon, which were both pretty momentous in different ways. And in terms of business updates, uh, some of you may know that a year ago, just over a year ago now, I joined forces with my dad to start the journey of buying businesses to grow and develop a limited growth potential leveraged income, completely aligned to my success without sacrifice ethos. And we have been busy. <laughs> uh, we've been progressing two more acquisition de deals on top of the two we've already done. And so they should be completing in the next 60 days if nothing goes wrong. And we are also launching our consulting and partnership brand to help others do the same as us. Because you've only got one life and I believe that leveraged income should be the goal. <laughs> Especially if you believe in success without sacrifice. 
So if you're a business owner or have experience running a business, then this asset class could be really good for you. Um, certainly more lucrative than investing in property. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about this, then just message me on LinkedIn and I'll be happy to share. Thanks again for listening to Millionaire Secrets. And don't forget, knowledge is only power when you take action on it. I don't want the secrets in this podcast to stay secret for long. So go away, implement the advice given in this podcast and let me know your results. All right, take care guys. See you soon.